Welcome to the Mirror Stage podcast, where we explore the Pacific Northwest through the stories and experiences of the people and its communities. Hello, I am Kiki. My pronouns are they, them. I'm here with my co-host. Hello, Kiki. Hazel here. Pronouns she, her. (laughs) How are you? I am doing all right. A little sleepy, but we're here. We're doing great things. Let's catch everybody up on what we've been up to. So it's October, which I've been waiting so long for, as some people know. And I finally got to put out my Halloween decorations. I, I really actually did this last month because I was like, it's spooktember. Everybody <laughs> just accept it. I think everyone's okay with that. So I put out my decorations and then I just got back from LA the other day. I went and visited my best friend and we uh, went to the Universal Studios Fright Night. How was it? It was so scary. It was a lot of fun. It was very scary though. And I don't know, have you ever been to Universal Studios? I've never been to Universal Studios. I was also just in LA, but I've never done those like studio tour things. I've never been to Disneyland or World or blah, blah, blah. Um, So it's on my bucket list. Yeah. It was fun. I would very much recommend it. I'm planning on going back in April to take my, I want to take my sister for her birthday because she loves Harry Potter and the Harry Potter world was really cool. And there was a lot of fun stuff. My, um, my best friend is really little. So they, they like scared her a whole bunch and everyone kept like jumping out at her because she was just, she's tiny. And so they were like, let's scare the small person. (laughs) That's not fair. They should be obviously trying to scare you. The person who's like geared up, ready to go. Right. (laughs) But yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I really needed that trip. And then um, we went to a live podcast showing. There's another podcast called that I love called Last Podcast on the Left. And so we went to their live show and it was at Hollywood Forever Cemetery. So it was just spooky all around. Did they have like a Halloween episode or? No, they're, um, they're on tour. So they, they tour around. I've seen them. This is my third time seeing them. I saw them once at Bumbershoot a few years ago, and I had no idea what they were. I was like, what is, I just read the description, and I was like, true crime and comedy and horror, I like those things, I'll show up. And it was just cool to be there, because like everyone else clearly knew like what this was, and I did not know. And so then I saw them and was like, this is great. And then I got obsessed with their podcast. And then I went and saw them like two years ago when they were in Seattle. But the friend I went and saw them with moved to like Iowa and so I knew they were touring again and I was like I don't know who would actually enjoy this outside of my friend Tammy who I introduced her to this podcast so we got to see them live and it was fun it was a great time yeah awesome I'm glad you had a good time out there yeah what's up with you how was your LA trip tell us a little bit about it so I went out there to celebrate my best friend's 30th birthday we're both now 30 sad stuff but we had a really good time you know got to get on the water a little bit got to soak up a little bit of sun ate a lot of good food you know that's like my biggest thing for sure when traveling is like tasting what the area has to offer and uh yeah it was a well-needed break from the reality of my home life so I was thankful to have that time to get away I believe I mentioned in one of the last episodes that I was going to start the Helen Mirren Masterclass for Acting, 
which I have dug into a little bit more. I just ordered two of the required reading textbooks online today. I'm also trying to check them out the library to see which gets here quicker so I can get on those. I didn't realize there was more content like than just the video. I opened like the actual course book and I was like, oh, here is where the work will happen and I will learn how to do things better. <laughs> um, but I'm just excited to dig in and like kind of self-guide myself through this. I, I find I thrive better with structure and that usually comes from someone instructing me, but this is going to have to be a little bit of a self-handheld experience, but I'm, I think I need to challenge myself in that way. Um, so I'm excited for that. And I just love listening to just like even little like actor tidbits is like really inspiring to me and it activates my brain in the creative side of my brain. So I'm thankful to tap into that and hopefully I'll be able to apply some of those lessons in the, the gala, which is coming up next month. Um, I will be acting for Mirror Stage. We're doing scenes from the top 10 plays from the past 10 years as voted on by our patrons. Try to say that two times fast or one time fast. It's going to be huge. It's, there's going to be a lot of familiar faces, a lot of talent in the Zoom room. It is virtual. So mark your calendars, November 20th, Saturday, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I'm getting stoked. We are figuring out scenes right now. We're pulling together some fun little uh, activities. One of them is going to be bingo. I believe uh, Kiki and I will be uh, doing an improv game of some sorts. Yep. We're going to be leading everybody in a game. So I hope that people can come out and play, play a little bit with us. And also... If you are attending and you live in Seattle, you can get free delivery from Tuxedos and Tennis Shoes. They are this catering company that we often partner with. They're going to have some snack and food and beverage options for you folks. So definitely check out the link on our website so you can get yourself some goodies. We'll be getting goodie bags in the mail to you. Like it's going to be a whole thing. If you're alumni artists or in the industry you get $20 tickets that's like a great deal so definitely come out and support if you've ever seen a mirror stage show ever been in a mirror stage show we would love to see you there so that we can all celebrate the hard work that mirror stage does and keeps doing yeah obviously like if you can't make it to the gala we'll try not to be super sad about it but feel free to give us money on the side. <laughs> you, if you like our podcast, if you like anything that Mirror Stage does, please feel free to donate at the website mirrorstage.org or text play it smart to 206-888-6477. That's 206-888-MI-RR. And as always, if you cannot support financially, we always love to have it when our listeners rate and review us. So please take a moment, if you can, on whatever platform you're listening on to go ahead and rate and review and subscribe. And find us on all our social medias. All again, that, as always, is going to be in our show notes. But come out and just like show a little support on the social media. Give us a little heart, a little thumbs up. So, uh, unfortunately, we, we don't have any super spooky content, but we have some really good content for this month's episode. 
we do. We're going to be interviewing Ana Maria Campoy. And I have her bio here, so I'll give a little shout out. Ana Maria is a Mexican-American theater artist, educator, and advocate. Ms. Campoy has worked as an actor, director, adapter, or dramaturg for Oregon Shakespeare Festival, Seattle Children's Theater, Book It Repertory Theater, Washington Ensemble Theater, and Porkfield Productions. She currently is an associate artist with Seattle Shakespeare Company, and she's the founder of the all-volunteer mutual aid collective, Wash Masks, which we'll be talking a lot about today. And uh, Wash Masks provides PPE support and advocacy for migrant and seasonal farm workers and their families in Washington State, and they've been doing that all throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. I think listeners definitely like pay heed and and listen into this one because I I just I was blown away by all all the things I learned all the information she shared and just like was really moved by a lot of the things she was said and and obviously her resume speaks for herself she's a huge factor in the community and like she says in the interview wears all these hats that connects her to all these communities and she's doing incredible work on all of those levels in all of those communities and really making a difference. And um, that's why we had her on our show because she is incredible and she is the ultimate definition of a artist in the community who's doing just so much more than um, intentional art making. Yeah, and she is really all over Washington State. Like you'll be hearing about doing art, offering education, bringing people together in the communities all throughout, and uh, really making a really big influence on some of the local artists. She names a couple people who probably wouldn't have known what to do until she popped in and was like, hey, I need this. Can you provide this or can you help with this? And would that was really helpful to give people some more purpose during all these times. Yeah, and just in addition to like working and making a difference in the communities, she's connecting those communities, you know, bringing attention to the migrant worker issue, and then also trying to bring some creative joy to, to those different communities, because that, that does so much for us as human beings, you know, we need that for our mental health, we need that for survival. And so, again, there's just so many layers to this. And, um, the humanity that she speaks on in this episode is just so real. Yeah, and with that, please enjoy our interview with Ana Maria Campoy. I am Ana Maria Campoy, and my pronouns are she, her. Awesome. Thank you, and thank you for being on the show. Yeah, Ana Maria, I really appreciate you being here, and... I know you. (laughs) I know you very well. And some of our listeners know you from our Hollywood Squares. You were participated in our holiday Hollywood Squares, which everyone can go find on our YouTube channel. But can you tell us a little bit more about your first Mirror Stage production? Because you've kind of been a part of the family. That's right. Um, So the first thing I did with Mirror Stage was the reading of Penelope by Margaret Atwood. And it's this feminist retelling of the Odyssey from the point of view of the women left behind waiting. And also the injustice of that story, what happened to the women in that story. If you remember, 12 of the handmaidens are murdered by um, Odysseus when he returns because 
he thinks of them as um, betrayers because of the other men who come in. But really, it's these are women who are just trying to survive in times of war. Um, so the play is retold in like a series of vignettes. So it's like there's scenes and you see how Penelope is trapped. But then there's also these little weird sing-songy, kind of creepy, kind of like the two twins in The Shining uh, vignettes of the 12 um, handmaidens together. And so it was me and all uh, other just incredible like femmes and women who have worked with mirror stage um several times like christy cruz and Alyssa keen and um yeah it was really really great um and oh and the when we did our reading it was on super bowl sunday i remember so we joked that we were like the anti super bowl sunday because it's like if you don't want to go watch football you can come see the feminist reading retelling of the odysseys do you recall what kind of turnout you got anna maria uh, we were like half full, so it was like better than what I expected. Like it was, it was definitely a lot better than what I expected. <laughs> right on. I love that. Uh, we're actually gearing up near stage turn 20 this year. So we're celebrating 20 years in November with our virtual gala. And we are um, doing the top 10 scenes from the past 10 years as voted on by our patrons. And one of the scenes is from that play. So not me not being familiar with it. I'm excited to see that. Oh, I'm really curious which scene it was. That's awesome. I don't know. I think Kiki might know, but I don't know what scene we're doing yet. I was going to say, I don't know what scene it is yet because we've been talking about it because I hadn't read the play before. I just had Suzanne tell me about it. And then I read it so that we could start talking about what scenes to do. And I, I was just like, any scene would work and is beautiful and is powerful and... Yeah, it's a great show. I'm just looking forward to hopefully producing it in the future and like learning more about it. So I kind of had kind of a semi-random question uh, that's related to you. I was wondering if you're aware of this Argentine actor from the 1940s who happens to have the same name as you or vice versa. Um, do you happen to know if your name was inspired by her at all? Oh, um, no, it is not. Um, I <laughs> I have heard of her um, because I, my family's from Mexico, so I identify as Mexican and or Mexican-American, more Chicana. Apparently, too, for like 20 years, she was like, had a big daytime talk show, probably more like Oprah and less Sally Raphael, but like very much in that vein of daytime talk show and like lots of fun in that. But no, I'm not named after her. Um, I've seen a lot of her posters. I tried to track down her movies out of curiosity, but I have not. I am named after, um, partially after, um, there's a lot of Marias in my family, so I'm named after all of them. And then Ana, I believe, I think my mom just liked the name. Um, but otherwise, the other thing I could think of is possibly at the time is right when they first got married is also around the time that the Megan Follows Anna Green Gables from Canada first came um, to the United States and my parents were watching around the time that they were pregnant. And so my mom loves Anne and um, Anna is Anne in Spanish. So it's the only other connection I can think of because my mom loves, loves that and like kind of raised my sister and I on those books and stuff. So... <laughs> Nice. Thank you. I just, I, I happened to come across that and I was like, oh, maybe there's like a connection here. <laughs> you never know. I mean, it's not a common name. So I wish that would be cool. <laughs> I want to say that I like that you were like, it's more Oprah and less Sally Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, whoa, uh, we both just dated ourselves because you said it. And I was like, I know that reference. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm very much an elder millennial. <laughs> 
Yes, I'm a fan of that wording. I like that. The elder millennials. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit more about some of the work you're doing in the community? And I know that you're doing a lot of work in a lot of different communities. So I just want to open that up for you to talk about any and all the things that you want to talk about with all the work you're doing. In the theater community, I wear a couple different hats. I am an educator, I'm a theater director, and a playwright and adapter, and an actor. Like many people at the start of the pandemic, like I lost a lot of my theater work. I lost over $13,000 in income in two weeks. If it gives people an idea of like how much that impacted people, that was like a third of my income of the year. And it's been interesting transitioning more and more into like a writer adapter director role in the last like even a little bit before the pandemic but especially since the pandemic has happened and i really have really found that i really love it and i think it's because a lot of it has to do with the fact that i love teaching like i love being in the room with young people or students of all ages whether they're like zero or 99 um and just seeing them grow and learning from them and being like oh yeah i couldn't have figured this out without you like i needed you to figure this out or i needed you to like help me tell this story and that's like my favorite moment is like when you see that in someone and then also you see them see that in themselves and so that has been finding i've been finding more of that like spark that i get in the classroom in my theater practice um through playwriting and adapting and directing like seeing artists that i know that like just like boom all of a sudden when it's opening or like we get to a particular monologue or scene or song and they get to play with it a little bit and they are like oh okay and then all of a sudden they like arrive i don't know how else to describe it but just seeing that come to life is like one of my favorite things of that is just seeing other people shine it makes me happy and as an educator i work for a lot of different places i work almost all over town but one of my favorite places to teach is for arts impact and um we work with classroom teachers all across washington state we mentor classroom teachers how to use the arts in their classroom um, and how do you use that to bridge learning gaps regardless of like language or location or gender or grade and like how is it that you're going to use like ensemble or tableau to like explore points of history and explore like perspectives in history like okay if we're telling the history from this point of view or this point of view and like why do we see tension there and why does there disagreement and like and you know and so going through that has been like really awesome just like seeing teachers feel really excited to do um theater in the classroom with their students is also one of my favorite things i specifically work for their voices in the field program so i work with teachers who are in rural communities um, migrant communities like meaning high farm worker population and a lot of those schools don't have um, a ton of access to the performing arts performing arts is very expensive especially to have at a public school sometimes that it's the first thing to go and so a lot of times these young people this is their only opportunity to do like performances like in their ela classrooms and so getting them to like write their own script or like put on like a silly skit about punctuation in their ell class and is like seeing them come to life through that has been really awesome and i've been doing that program now my like sixth or seventh year with that program. And I have, uh, there's some parts of the state that I like had never heard of until 
I went out there to teach like Mattawa or Grandview or Prosser. And it was really incredible being in those communities. And when you're in those communities, like whether you're there as an educator or you're there in any perspective as not just an artist, but as a person, and you're interacting with uh, young people whose parents are farm workers or they themselves are farm workers and you meet their families, like you are humbled and you cannot remain unchanged when you meet the people who like get up at 4 a.m. to feed you. You think of their faces like when you sit down to eat or when you sit down to cook because like literally everything we eat is because of them. And when I started like performing, because I went out there as a performer first, it was the first time I interacted with some of those communities. And then I got hired on by Arts Impact and getting to work in those communities, which I love. I also get to speak a lot of Spanish, which is my first language when I'm there and just brings me a lot of joy. So one of the things that it really struck me was like, okay, like geography is a huge issue for people to see theater. And how do we address that? And so in some of my producing projects that I did, like around that same time, six, seven years ago, was like, okay, how do we break down barriers? Let, let's do a tour. So let's do, and we toured, uh, I worked with some other Mirror Stage friends, uh, Tina Polzane and Nat Cheryl, and we did a bilingual production of Bolas de Sangre, Blood Wedding, around different parks. And then uh, the next year I partnered with Arlene Martinez Vasquez and uh, we did a bilingual production of Proof and we did that in all sorts of different neighborhoods in Seattle. And then the following year we took it to um, Tacoma and to Vashon Island specifically to go perform it for farm workers out there. We partnered with their youth and family services. So like the local food bank had like put together picnic baskets. So if families wanted to come see the show, they can come get a food basket from there. So like trying to think about like, if I'm going to do my art, how can I do it intentionally? Like making sure artists are paid, making sure artists are taken care of, making sure we still make really good art, but also like, how do we change the experience for the audience? And also challenging ourselves to think about who are our audience? Like, you know what? Like we all love dressing up for opening night. Yes, that is fantastic. We all love getting amazing reviews. That's so great. But you know what? Like that stuff doesn't really matter. And like, and I feel like we really are getting to know that really in such a big way in this pandemic. And like what really we miss from theater is like, sure, those moments we miss our opening nights, but what we miss about opening night is being in community and sharing a story and the excitement of something new. And so if that is the core of what we're taking away, and if that is the core of what we do, like, then that belongs to everyone. And so that has been a big intention of like my artwork is like, how do I keep pushing it or asking it? And like any rooms that I'm in as, as a director or a dramaturg, I'm always asking like, so what are we doing to invite our unhoused community to come and be participants in the audience? Or, you know, what are we um, doing to invite like, to ensure that youth are um, invited and feel welcome. Because it's one thing to say, like we have youth tickets and we invite youth, but like, for example, if you have no non-alcoholic drinks at your bar, like that doesn't really cater to youth. And it also doesn't cater to like anyone who might be going through like addiction or sobriety or just doesn't want to drink. And so wherever I can push, I'm going to push. And wherever I can extend the table or like add another chair, I'm going to do it. Yeah, I just keep thinking like the table just keeps getting longer and the food just keeps getting better the more we have all of us at the table. So that's a long answer to talk about like me as an artist. <laughs>
Wow. Um, <laughs> I just have so much that I like want to respond to and echo, I guess, first of all, being just that like your passion is just so is so evident. It's so apparent. It's it's inspiring. And all the hats that you wear that connect you to all the different communities and to all the work that you're doing. And you mentioned something about working on a project in a particular part of the state where you get to speak Spanish and how much joy that brings you. And it just reminded me of something my roommate said recently. And We live in a smaller conservative town in Colorado and he doesn't get to be around the Hispanic community or a Spanish community at all very much. And so he misses that very much in his life. And so I'm just echoing like, I get that. I feel that. But that's all to say that like, Working as an artist and in these communities has really changed my life in like deep and sincere ways. And I'm forever grateful and forever still learning so much more from them. Um, and when the pandemic first hit, I emailed all my classroom teachers that I'd worked with across Washington state. And I was like, hey, so stay at home orders. Like, do anyone need masks? Like, I, I, I can't sew, but I got friends who do and I can email and I can organize because those are things I'm good at. And I had um, one teacher email me back from La Venture Middle School, Nora Gonzalez up in um, La Venture. And she was like, I need 50 masks. And then three days later, she was like, just kidding. I need 1500 masks. And I was like, uh. and at that point, like I'm in, right? Like I can't say no. And especially this is like at the start, we didn't know what was going on, right? And so it's like, you can't say no, that's 1500 lives. Like you can't say no. And I was like, all right, Anna, you said you were gonna do this. I guess you're just gonna bother a lot of people. And then I just started like posting all over social media. I emailed people, um, Kiki was one of those. I texted people, Kiki, you were one of those people I texted and you would be like texting me being like, I'm on my fourth mask or like, I'm gonna text like, and then, like it just kind of grew like like I texted Kiki and they texted like four or five other people and then Arlene was like hey I have like four neighbors and I got them and then I had other friends and then my a friend of mine's like I called my mom in the midwest and like she's like a big quilter and she's ripping up our quilts and making masks and so she's gonna send you a hundred and like so it was just one of those things that like grew and grew and grew and then like one of the first things is my mom called me and she's like this is great but I I cannot have you posting your home address on the internet. Absolutely not. And I was like, fair, 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 fair. So like the first thing I did was like, go get a PO box, which like, if you want to send us masks, cause we still need them. Wash mask is at PO box 16500, Seattle, Washington, 98116. And I'm sure Miro stage will share it later. Um, and so it just kind of grew and grew like hugely like that. And at the same time, I started noticing that there were so all many theater artists that were involved in mutual aid work and starting to do this, just hearing that like, oh, artists get it, like artists get it, you know? And it's the reason why is like, we actually have a lot of similarities to like the communities that we are trying to support, whether it's unhoused or farm workers, but like where I started to find more and more is the points of connection that we have with farm workers. Like as artists, we understand the work and effort that goes into making something. We understand process, but people only see product. And that's the same way with farm workers. People underestimate that what we do is incredibly skilled. 
right? And that, that's a whole point of contention right now with like IATSE going on, want, like voting yes on the strike, um, because like the film heads are treating them like they what they do doesn't have value, and like IATSE crew members are like are the film industry, are the theater industry. Like we know this as artists who work alongside them. And um, farm workers also quite often have to move from gig to gig to like survive for their families. And that's something we understand too. Like I, we've all seen like, I feel like every year there's like an exodus of like artists that leave because they can't find work in Seattle or they can't find paying work or the rent is pushing them out of the city and they gotta go somewhere else to find work and survive. And also farm workers often like have to fight for their wages and fight for people to respect them. They're often seen as kind of like this invisible population and quite often like it's the same for artists like we have to fight for our wages like you know there's some people who make a lot of money off of us but not necessarily we get to benefit from that as well so there's a lot of similarities that we have as communities and as workers in our perspective places and you know all the things that they're asking we are all asking as people like we're all asking for like equity protections and safety and like that's all that they're asking as well so th that kind of just grew and like i had just amazing people just kept showing up and like after a while like when i started to realize all these deep connections it didn't surprise me that the artists in um for wash mess were the, the most like the hardcore volunteers like the ones who would like text me or like dm me on instagram and be like when's the next drive can i volunteer or like can i drive like and I think for some people, it was like, thank God, I'm getting out of my house, right? Like, I'm going to go drive. And we live in a beautiful state. You drive from Seattle to Sunnyside, you see like three completely different biodomes. It's stunning. But you also get to see what is the reality of farm workers. And that is, I think, something that we often don't think about on the side of the mountains. And like one of our volunteers said it best to um, Roland, he said, we cannot feed the people of Seattle by starving Yakima Valley. And that's just kind of become a bit of a mantra for a lot of the volunteers. And it's just kind of grown. Like I keep saying it grow organically, but it really, really did. Like I had a friend, Erin Murray, step forward and be like, I want to make you a website. And she like made me a website. And I'm just having people be like, let me help you with social media. And like, let me help you with this. Or like, I, and I was like, I'm getting overwhelmed with like organizing donation drives and volunteers. Can someone help me with this? And someone's like, I got you. I got you. Like just so many people showing up. Like. There's so many people that have done so many incredible things that because of them, we've been able to do so much more. Like since then, what Wash Mask has done, we've gathered and distributed nearly 35,000 masks since April 2020. We've been able to distribute nearly 500 new books for young people, over $10,000 worth of school supplies. We have done just over 300 boxes of food. We had a, a big drive, which we'll be doing again in December. So if you are interested in hosting the drive or volunteering for a drive, email us. Call the Heart of Washington Drive for the holidays. And the goal for that is to provide um, farm workers not just like food for the holidays, but like traditional food. Most of our farm workers are of um, Latin descent. They're like from um, different Latin American countries. Um, they're mostly of an indigenous background. So like, what are the ingredients that like actually is part of their diet and how can we actually show respect to them by giving those ingredients? Like 
I am not going to give you Pop-Tarts if you don't want Pop-Tarts. Like, and so um, as much as like, I, I, you know, I grew up in Southern California. I like love Pop-Tarts, but like, that's not what I want. <laughs> and so uh, that was like a big learning journey for us was like figuring that out. Some of it was like our community partners telling us like, here, this is what people are asking for. For. And then also we got some help from amazing local, like rock star of a human, Roxana Prado Garcia. Prado Garcia, I should say. She is amazing. She has a food bank out of Burien and she feeds like over 800 families every week. And it's all culturally relevant food. It's also culturally responsive food for people from different Latin American countries. And she even offers like three different food boxes. She's incredible. And she has been an incredible friend and mentor to me during this journey of like whenever I'm like ah I don't know how to do that and I text her like SOS and she's like I got you like and she'll give me like just good advice or just support and so like this whole project as it keeps growing like people I get people saying like it's really great the work that you're doing and I I appreciate it but it really is the work that we are doing like it really like I could not have done half of the things that Wash Mask has done on my own. Like I couldn't have done a tenth of the things that we have done on my own. It really, really has taken so many, many people to make it happen. We have four community partners that we regularly work with. Uh, Nuestra Casa in Sunnyside in the lower Yakima Valley. That is Mount Vernon School District, specifically La Venture School, working with um, that very first teacher who emailed me back um, Nora, she introduced me to her sister, Ilia Solis, and Ilia Solis is a freaking powerhouse. Like the, the things this woman does as a family counselor at that school, how she impacts the entire community, even kids who don't have kids or are not in the public school system at all. Like she is amazing. And uh, Alma Cachon in, uh, from Cafe in Wenatchee, another incredible woman, incredible organization and Matthew and Betsy Pleasant out of the Colville Indian uh, Reservation. So those are the communities we've tried to like maintain a regular relationship and check in with them and see what they need. One of the biggest learning things for me in the whole process was like, ask people what they need, but like, if people are vulnerable enough to tell you what they need, you gotta show up. That's kind of just the big lesson. Like I feel like my community here in Seattle and like my part of my beloved community all over Washington state, like just keeps teaching me over and over again. To respond to that, the wash mask thing has just grown and grown and grown. And that is fascinating. And I love it. And that you've got all these people on board and they're just there for it. I'm curious, what are some of the challenges that you experienced? Like, obviously this growth has been happening, but what kind of obstacles did you guys come up against? Obstacles is because there's like real obstacles for farm workers. Like, first of all, there's no federal minimum wage for farm workers. Um, most labor laws specifically exclude farm workers. They'll say no agricultural workers. Um, less than half of the states in the country offer overtime pay. There is no heat regulation. So like, as we see temperatures rise in the West Coast and because of climate change, there is nothing to protect them. They are lucky if they get a canopy from their bosses, which is like, that's not enough. And like, it will be 100 degrees in Yakima. It'll be 108 or 110 degrees in the field because 
it's like open sun and it's all those plants. So it's just like automatically more heat. And because things are sprayed with so much pesticide, so between wanting to protect themselves from the sun and pesticide, farm workers wear like layers, like long sleeve, long pants, hats, like masks, they cover their necks, they cover everything. So they don't get exposed to this stuff. And often they can get harmed because of heat stress. And farm workers are like 20 times more likely than any other citizen in the United States to die of heat stress. And they can die as quickly as within two hours. We had several deaths in the Pacific Northwest this year because of it. So yeah, those are the challenges. At the start of the pandemic, another thing that was a big challenge is a lot of, because also like there's this is where I'm going to get a little political and I might get a little bit in trouble, but um, there's like such an idea of like the rural family farm in the United States. And that is not fully a reality. Like there are very few small, like that quaint idea of the farm it, it, nowadays. And, and majority of them are corporations. And we need to acknowledge that these are corporations. Like Washington farmers in Washington state made like billions, billions in 2020 and they pay less taxes than their farm workers and farm workers make an average of in some states it's as low as eleven thousand dollars a year in washington state it's between fifteen thousand to twenty thousand dollars a year so like that is horrific and when the pandemic first hit a lot of those corporations did not want to acknowledge that the pandemic was happening would not provide social distancing would not provide uh, hand sanitizer would not provide masks it took like all these incredibly brave farm workers many unfortunately like well many in our country who are farm workers are undocumented and it's on purpose by these corporations, because if they can keep people undocumented, it's a way of control. It's a way of keeping them scared. It is, I have horrible stories that I will go into in a minute about like the way they use that on purpose to control farm workers. But they did that and it took seven incredible uh, different conglomerates of farm workers in Yakima to walk out of their jobs and they went on strike. Um, led, they're led by several, but one of them was um, David Cruz who led it. And they, they went on, and this is like in April of 2020, and they went on a hunger strike. Like they went on for like over a month protesting every single day. And that's like when I, when like Wash Mask was like first starting up and I was getting, and like there's this other incredible, incredible nonprofit that they do more specifically activism work, but they're, they're amazing. They're amazing. Um, out of Bellingham called Community to Community. I really recommend everyone to look them up. And they were taking, like they were having their volunteers like drive over and like bring food to feed the families of the striking workers and water bottles because it was hot already. And it took over a month, a month for Inslee to go down there. And I, I, and like that me just, I'm so furious about it still, because like, this is our guy, like this is our governor who's like the climate change governor and like farm workers are on the front line of, of like our food is the front line of climate change. And like, you should care about the people who are picking your food, like period. And also like when I, when I get so passionate about this stuff, like we have farm workers in every single state in this country. In in this country, every single state has these issues to some sort of a degree. Some places are better or worse than others. There is like ten that do overtime pay, which Washington State now does as a result of this strike. Um, so that is part of it. But unfortunately, um, David Cruz uh, passed away from COVID, and he did not have to die from COVID. 
which is one of the things that is so infuriating. Another thing that is uh, really horrible when we look at the COVID stats in the state of Washington, um, Latina people are only 20% of the population. And in the summer of 2020, we were over 50% of the cases. So that gives you an idea of like, who specifically is that impacting? And it is specifically impacting our, the, our farm workers. Um, and farm workers in Washington, like I know we're probably all thinking of adults our age or our parents' age maybe, depending how young <laughs> you are that you're listening to this. But honestly, farm workers in Washington state are as young as 12 and older than 70. So it is children, it is our grandparents, it is our neighbors. Yeah, so those are the things that make it hard. There are other things that like Wash Mask has tried to do. Like we, one of the things we did, we had like a month of, of like weekly virtual art classes available to the community so they could come in and like experience art. Cause like as artists who uh, all volunteer at mutual aid, like we'd also believe that art is a right and belongs to everyone. And, but instead we had to focus on a heat supply drive. You know, we had to focus on water bottles. And the reality is, we can't donation drive our way out of this crisis. We have to start thinking of real solutions to climate change because like climate justice is racial justice and like, and food justice is climate justice is racial justice. Like it's all intertwined. And so one of the things that I am really appreciative of, of all this work is like how it continues to teach me and all the ways that we are connected and how much more we need to just like tear down so much of this like horrific capitalist white supremacist system and also just like how much our causes like are each other's causes like dr king and cesar chavez were really good friends and like they marched along besides each other like one of the famous like sit-ins fasting that cesar chavez did on behalf of farm workers Coretta scott king was with them and they used to say to each other your fight is my fight you know, and like the biggest reason like La Causa happened the way it did is like if you look at the history of Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta and that late 60s, early 70s movement of farm workers when it first really came to national attention, it's not just because of them. It is because of like all these different activists from all over the country and all these different people with different causes are being like, my cause is your cause and showing up for each other. And like, that's one of the things I, I find really helpful in this work is like how much we see ourselves aligned in this. But the thing that's really frustrating is like, we still have like half a dozen fires on the West Coast right now. And there are still farm workers picking in those fields right now. Like when Seattle has smoke and we go inside for a week, we go inside for a week, good for us. But farm workers are outside and they're outside like not eight hours a day. They're outside like 10 to 16 hours a day picking for us. So those are the obstacles, but I really find our solution in just like being accomplices to each other in the system and in coalition movement. And just like, we're doing our donation drives, but we're also calling our representatives, you know? Like we're also demanding things, you know? And, and also demanding for change, which one thing that's helpful right now is uh, Senator Patty Murray is a co-sponsor on a heat regulation bill, which is on the floor right now in the Senate. And it basically is gonna pass nationwide laws that like once it reaches certain temperatures, 
farm workers cannot work. It must be provided water and shade and protection. Maria Cantwell has never said a single thing about farm workers and never responded to a single email or text or anything, call, anything, smoke signal I have done for the last two years. So if anyone wants to hound her, I'd appreciate it. Uh <laughs> If you're enjoying this podcast and would like to support it and other Mirror Stage programming, you can make a tax-deductible donation via our website, mirrorstage.org, or text Play It Smart to 206-888-6477. That's 206-888-MIRR. That's awesome to hear about the bill on the floor, though. Like, that's real tangible change and in, in progress. So that's, like, a relief to hear about after everything you just said. And I guess, like, the biggest thing that stuck out to me, and if we dare go down this political stream, since we're already down there, <laughs> you know, the concept of immigration and, like, you know, there's those who feel like, you know, you can't be here unless you're a citizen. And then, like, what is required to get to that step? And how easy is it? And what you said about the corporations keeping their workers undocumented I'm guessing that's a benefit to them. I guess I'm, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but like, what is the benefit to them besides the fear and the control? Is there a money factor involved in that as well? Like, do you have to pay higher wages if you're an actual citizen versus undocumented? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You would have to pay real wages if they were documented. Like, farm workers often are not even paid by the hour. Farm workers are often paid by how much they pick. So you fill this bin you get $4. Pick as many bins as you can. Also, we're going to measure them and weight them at the end of the day, not you. So you're just going to have to trust us that we're not emptying any of these out. So like, there's just a lot of insidious behavior that happens with that. Um, another thing that happened is like, oftentimes these communities are very small, like it's one grocery store, one this, one, and that's it, right? And when um, one of the things that started happening when Trump was elected is they hired way more ICE agents. And all of a sudden, ICE is hanging out in front of grocery stores, entrances and exits. So where the heck are people going to get food? You know, and then like, also, if they're undocumented, and you start making it difficult, they're trapped on the farm, then if they get arrested for being undocumented, just existing, then you literally, it, it's, it's like, oh, it gets into some dark, some bad history that we have in the US. Like it just, you know, all of a sudden we're trapping people on these farms and we're asking them to pick our food and we're not paying them well and we're not letting them see their families or it's just goes into a lot of not great places. Let's save that. And so like, yeah, the biggest thing is pay. That is the, where they save so much money. And that's also how they can get like, they get away with paying someone $11,000 a year. But like, I also, for people who are like, oh, well then they should come in the legal way. Well, like, you haven't been paying attention. The immigration system is broken. Also, be a grown up. There is not a single thing in your life that is not touched by an undocumented person. Be a grown up and admit that fact and admit that you live benefiting off of that and change it. And if you are still upset with my saying, I don't know how to tell you to be empathetic. Like, that wasn't my job. That was your kindergarten teacher's job. So sorry, I'm very salty today, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Kiki's like, no, you're always like this. <laughs> we'll call uh, this the salt episode. Salt with Anna Maria. <laughs> yes. 
Oh, my family would appreciate that. They'll always say I'm muy salera. Um. <laughs> no, the other thing you just kind of said that like also strikes me is like the work that these these migrant workers are doing is like hard work. It's like manual, hardcore labor. And I just feel like they're doing this work because they know how to do this work. They're good at this work. And like the majority of the other people in this country don't want to do that work. Even if they were getting paid the right amount of wages, I don't think the average American sees themselves doing that type of work. And so we're kind of stuck in this system where like you're the type of people that pick food and we're the type of people who do something else. Yeah. And I think it's also the way we if we didn't degrade this profession, maybe other people, you know, like it, I, I, and also let's make things clear. It's not that they, they can't do anything else. It's, it's because they have no other options to do anything else. Um, so that is the biggest thing, you know, like my students that I work with, some of them are just brilliant at like math. They're in sixth, seventh grade and they're already in calculus. They're just brilliant, brilliant at math, but like they're a farm worker. You know, and it's not that you can't be a farm worker and also brilliant at math, but like they also have like they're 12, they're 13. They have other possibilities with this math brilliance, but because they're undocumented or their parent might be undocumented, they, they don't have other opportunities or options. And so I, I think it, we just have to acknowledge that we haven't been treating the people who feed us with like justice at all for over 100 years. Like this is not a recent phenomena. This is not something I mean like that started in the 60s. I mean, this goes way, way back, if not more. Thank you for all that. And I, I did want to ask a little bit about some pleasant surprises you've had while working <laughs> with the washroom I like that everyone's laughing at me. The optimist over here is just like, what's something good that you've done, like learned? <laughs> There's so much good. Like, Honestly, like the work is hard and like, yes, all these injustices are enraging and that's why I get like all pumped up. But like what makes me get up and want to do it is not because I'm mad. It's because I love this community and because I feel humbled and grateful that like for one being invited in to teach and also two to be invited back and like for them to feel like vulnerable enough to like and, and brave enough to like, yeah, well, we want your help. I'm, I'm learning just as much from them. I'm, I'm learning probably more from them than that. <laughs> um, and there's been a lot of really good things. I think one of the days that is like kind of a banner day, because I was like, wow, I can't believe we pulled this off, you guys. Was, um, we did this thing, we called it Feed the Moms for Mother's Day. And we put together 250 food boxes for a week's worth of food. And uh, so this time was a time when we were working, we worked with actually Mapton School District. And this was a town without a stoplight. Like it was a stop sign. And I stood on one corner and I looked around and I was like, oh, I can see the whole town. <laughs> and it's like, it's small, it's small, but like, it is like, oh my gosh, what a beautiful community, like really like excited we were there. We had 15 volunteers from Seattle drive over and we distributed those boxes, um, but just like really joyful and we're there. And then this guy comes on like a forklift with his giant pallet and he's like just going down the street on this forklift and then he pulls up to the school and he like drops the pallet down and we're like, hello. And he's like, hey, are you guys the Seattle people? 
And we're like, yes. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, yeah, you're distributing the food today. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're distributing the food boxes. Can we like, do you need something? He's like, no, no, no. My, my boss wanted to send this over. And like his boss had bought a pallet's worth of like shampoo, conditioner, body wash. And so we were able to like provide really nice quality personal hygiene items in each box as well. And then like, we also had someone else come by and deliver like lotion or something like there was just like oh deodorant and like someone else came and delivered diapers like there were members of the communities in the lower yakima valley who heard we were coming that were like oh oh that's awesome i want to help my neighbors too and like that was really exciting so like strangers i've never met like kind of communicating through this thing was really awesome it was amazing to see how much the seattle artist community just like boom boom just showed up like uh, 15 different volunteers about yeah, 12 different like cars go down filled to the brim. Um, and then people, some people who couldn't make it were like, can I give you gas money? And they were just Venmoing me gas money or like, hey, you know, you and the volunteers, like make sure you all eat, like here's 25 bucks for you to eat. Or like, hey, if there's anything I can contribute for the last minute grocery run. And that made it like, and we were, we also got like enough little donations that we were able to like, we rented like a big sprint van like kind of like the Book It touring van or the Seattle Shakes touring van without any of the seats. And we filled that from like bottom to top with a ton of food. And it was just like so incredible. Like, and I didn't get to see my mom for Mother's Day last year as so many of us didn't. And to get to say like Feliz Dia Las Madres to like so many different moms and like make their days and just, and then like have the kids open the box and be like, oh, look, there's that. Like just get excited about that it was like, that was such a joyful, joyful, joyful day. Another joyful thing in general was like the art classes. We did a month of art and mental wellness with Community Advancement of Family Education um, in Wenatchee. That's our partners with Alma Cachon. And that was amazing. And Kiki, you got to be a part of that. And it was like all different families. And so it was different families in their community, plus like their employees as well, um, because they were like, you know what, we want to make sure that we're offering it not just to our clients, but all our employees who like keep our small nonprofit and volunteers who keep our small nonprofit going. And it was awesome. And like I, the very first one was with Catherine Van Meter and we were dancing and, and it was just like at the end, like you're looking at all the different screens and there's like an older farm worker with a baseball hat outside dancing. Some people, um, Alma and like one other person is dancing in their office at cafe. At one point, like someone is like holding up their grandchild and like the four-year-old is dancing with the eight-year-old. Like it was this like really beautiful thing of like joy. And that has been really, really amazing. Finding like all these little ways of like, how can we bring creative joy to the community, not just like immediate care has been the the best. That's been that's been where like a lot of the excitement and joy in wash mask is. And I think that's I think that's also why like so many artists like have a good time because like we get to do something. We get to do a little bit of the stuff that brings us joy um, with the people who feed us every day. And like what a cool way to say thank you to them. Yeah, that was fun. And it was interesting to see the different kinds of classes that people were offering and like the different kinds of things. Because I remember you and I were just chatting and I was like, wouldn't it be fun if I did like a found music class where just the families bang on pots and pans and make a song? And then it happened and it was a lot of fun. And it was just cool to see like, oh, there's this teenager and his mom banging on 
pots and pans, like laughing and having a good time. And it's like, when do we get to do that? Like, when do we get to just be silly in our spaces with our families? Because a lot of it, like you've been saying, has been like a, a lot of survival mode for a lot of people during this time. So yeah, just another opportunity to have some fun, which I really like and appreciate that you bring into different spaces. So I want to ask you then, what are some other things that you are working on outside of wash masks and like all of the different kinds of volunteer things that you're a part of? Are there any theater things you got coming up or doing? Yeah, I am. I'm so excited. I have some cool stuff I'm doing. I am the dramaturg for Songs for a New World at Village, and I'm really excited for that. Like, I love being a dramaturg because it's like where I get to be like a full nerd. Like, I just get to go down the rabbit holes of reading all the stuff and being like, oh my God, look at this article and let's listen to this podcast and like want to nerd out with like one of the other artists about that theme or topic in the, in the show. Like, we can do that. And I'm also getting to like, learn a lot with the amazing artists that are in the room so i love to get to i love to sit in a room and just like learn so it's been really cool to do that uh seattle shakespeare is also going to be doing romeo y julieta again i adapted romeo and juliet for them and so right now i'm like readapting that to it was meant for the screen last year and i think we had up to oh god i can't remember if we were seven or eight actors and so it has to go back to six um but i'm really really excited to be doing that and uh, Sophie Franco is the director for that. I'm also going to be directing at Western Washington University this winter. Um, Sonata in Escondida. Um, I'm really excited for that. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece. It's very Pinterest-esque in its language set in the desert. It's gorgeous. I can't wait. And then I'm doing my residencies again this year with Arts Impact. And I'll be working with some really awesome classroom teachers from Grandview, Washington. And I cannot wait. So that's... That's like my year, basically. <laughs> and then for wash masks, I mean, I'm really excited with stuff we have coming up. We have some potential schemes of like how we're going to get art in person down there. And we're like scheming with our community partners because they really like, one of the things that's been really sweet is like every time a person drives down there, they like always call me or text me or send me a photo afterwards. And they're like, so-and-so was so nice. And they gave me a tour of their building and they told me the story. And because they're just like so excited as well like new people and like oh my gosh you know who we are and you know where we are and like you know to bring us food that we'll actually eat like this is so exciting and so wanting to find ways that we can like keep this going like the pandemic hasn't gone yet but we will get out of this we will we will we will and i'm gonna keep saying that so i believe it too we will get out of this but i don't want the community we built to go away and especially because like the movement to get things to be better is is gonna take more time, unfortunately. And so like, I don't want that momentum and the support and the excitement that people have for food justice and farm worker justice to go away. So like, I wanna keep supporting that in other ways that I can. And so those are the things I'm really pumped about. <laughs> I wanna keep taking books. That's a big thing. Cause I just keep thinking about like how much reading books, like really just, what they do for all of us, especially when we read books with like protagonists that look like us or sound like us or have similar experience of us and like how that life-changing and life-affirming that can be. And like the best thing we were told, I had interviews with like um, in conversations with uh, our community partners and be like, you know, 
where did we fuck up? How can we do better? Like, you know, like give me a yearly review. And one of them, the best thing they said was like, was Kati Padilla at Nuestra Casa. And she said like, you guys brought color into our lives. And we'd open these boxes and we'd see these books and we'd see the Abuelita hot chocolate. And it was you guys telling us that you loved us. And that was the best gift. And like, that was the best gift to hear back was like, cause it's what we want to do, right? Like we want people to feel loved and supported and appreciated. And, you know, so if, if we can do that through books and through art, let's do it. <laughs> I love that. I'm so on board for that movement. And I just want to applaud you for all that you are doing. It's amazing. And you have such gusto. And I hope we can spread that, spread the love, spread the joy and spread the movement through this a little bit. Um, I just wanted to to ask as we're wrapping up here on our time, um, what is something you want listeners to take away from our conversation with you today? I think Think about like when you sit down at your meal, like all the expertise that it took to get there, you know? And if you're still like, I don't know, farm workers, like I have a garden. Like if you're someone that's thinking that, which I don't, I don't, I would assume that no one made was with that mindset made it all the way to the end of this, but, um, but just like go on YouTube and look up farm workers, like picking Brussels sprouts or like the things that they do, like they just go through with a machete, like so freaking fast. And, and I'm like, that is hor like terrifying and, and awesome. And wow, that is how we get food and realizing that it's not a robot. Like so many things are automated. Like I pick up my phone and I dial in a number and I'm not actually like pushing any real buttons anymore, right? Like it's all touch screen. And so if we think about the fact that the most basic thing, like the food, things we need to stay alive, still requires each other, that we care a little bit more about each other. Thank you for that. And uh, we have one last question for you and I'll just give you a heads up that we're gonna put the wash masks website on our show notes. But I guess I'm curious on where else can people find you and keep up to date with all the things that you're working on and other ways that they can lend a hand? Wash Mask is also on Instagram. I would also recommend that you sign up for our email list. We're trying to get that together. And uh, other ways that you can support farm workers, um, sign up for the email list for Community to Community out of Bellingham if you want to help farm workers in Washington. Uh, if you are listening to this outside of Washington, following the UFW, that is United Farm Workers. Um, they're the historic farm worker unions founded by Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta. They're still around today. They're incredible. Their big campaign right now that they're doing is they're asking senators to come work their jobs for one day. And so far, only two have said yes, Senator Alex Padilla and Senator Cory Booker. So if your senator is not one of those senators, call your senator. <laughs> so um, yeah, so th those are ways that you can definitely support if you're on the East Coast, there is the Milk with Dignity campaign. It's this incredible program that is around uh, safety and equity and protections for farm workers in the dairy industry. And it is worker led and it has been hugely successful. Like Ben and Jerry's has 100% adapted it and it's coming out of Vermont. The activist there, her name is Marita. She's brilliant and like she's an incredible leader and they're great. And so right now their big campaign is try to get Hannaford Market on board. So if you're on the East Coast, you probably know of a Hannaford Market or a Hannaford like conglomerate market. And so, yeah, there's lots of different ways. Like I said, we have farm workers in every state. 
you know and so any way that you can support them there's so there's ways there's so many ways and you can follow on social media as well like uh, Farmworker Justice is a really great account and the Farmworker Project the Farmworker Project mainly uh, engages in like larger topic conversations and like making sense of like how everything flows together so if you're like me that likes to look at the big picture do that and if you're someone that's like i need action items like i'm already on board just tell me what to do tell me who to call i'm on it like ufw uh, mujeres campesinas uh community community like all those folks are fantastic folks for you to follow Thank you. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> like, love that. I'm like, go, go follow all these people. Get it all up today. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so, so much for your time this evening. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you guys for letting me just like, because I can. <laughs> I think that was the most jam-packed interview we've ever had. <laughs> so much information. Like, you're like seven people. Like, just so many different things. I love it. It was great. <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> Holy moly. I learned so much. <laughs> I, I learned so much <laughs> that, <laughs> wow. I don't know. I feel like we keep having people on the show that are this caliber of human, you know, that are just like, door openers, go-getters, like shakers and movers in the community, wearing all these different hats, making a difference in so many people's lives. I just, I feel like, what am I doing? I'm not doing enough. <laughs> That's why I'm telling you, there were so many conversations we had that was just, wouldn't it be cool if this thing happened? And then I would get an email and, and she'd be like, hey, I'm making this thing happen. And I was like, how? did you do that? So it was great to kind of hear her talk about the different ways that she's done all of these different things. Cause it seems like there's a couple different just ways to do it. It's not just one cookie cutter thing. And it's a lot like she's saying about community and having people who want to be a part of this community of like helpers. So that was great. Yeah. It also takes courage. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, everybody gets ideas, but who acts on them? Who actually responds to what they're seeing, who actually is reacting to their environment or allowing what they're seeing to affect them in a way that actually promotes change. And the thing she was saying about like, you know, picturing the face of the person who she saw pick like the food that she was going to eat that night. Like I've never taken the time to do that. And obviously, you know, if you don't see it, if you don't go out there, you're not going to think about it. It's, it's probably the last thing you're going to think about, but connecting that humanity to it is what's so crucial about a lot of issues and problems that need to be resolved. So I, I just think that hearing that and having someone articulate that is just huge. And I think it connects to who we all are, you know, as human beings. Yeah. But um, what she was saying at the beginning with the wash mask thing about it's really the work of many. And I totally, totally understand that, like all these people all over. It's so impressive that she was able to get this army kind of behind her. But, you know, she's the one who had the idea to call the so-and-so, to email so-and-so, um, to get the, the gears turning. And so it's, again, like if she hadn't done that, who would have? 
Yeah, well, and I really appreciated what she was saying about not wanting the community that they've built to go away. Because that's something, too, I feel like we get in conversations a lot about in the theater world where I talk to people who are like, well, Zoom theater is not theater. And I'm like, I agree with what you're saying, but there are things that we learned from doing these kinds of different things online and trying to stay artistic throughout this process that it's like what can we take away from this that we're not just like oh well that's done now because we're in the the after times but it's not done and there are things that you can learn that you've utilized all these different people and resources that want to make change in some capacity so how can you keep building that and keep that growing and keep that motivation there totally it's like with mirror stage you know, we've had several patrons enjoy the Zoom theater option because they can, it's a little more intimate for them. They can see the faces of the actors better. They can hear the actors better. And so absolutely, we have to just take what what we're getting from this time and keep building on it, keep working with it, keep incorporating it and keep making, keep making theater accessible, you know, because that's how you make a difference in people's lives. The other crazy thing that I was like the entire time she was talking about like machetes and Brussels sprouts. I'm like, do we not have a type of machine to like pick those kinds of things? Like, does it literally require a human being to be out there picking it? Or or is it a money thing where it's cheaper to have someone do that versus create you know, some automated process that can pick our vegetables for us. I, I guess for me, that's a little baffling. And I guess I'm going to have to do some research. Like we're in the 21st century and we don't have something to, to pick the Brussels sprouts. Like, why is that? I guess I thought things were a little bit easier than they were. And so that's a big change for me. That's, a, you know, there's some ignorance leaving my brain there because um, I was made aware yeah, I wonder about that, too, because I think it, it really goes back to the money. And I think this is also coming up. I don't know if you're following the news with, like, the Facebook stuff that's going on right now, where it's like the company is picking money over people. And that is been the case for a lot of different organizations and especially like big corporations. It's always like picking money over people. And it's like yeah, they've been doing it for how long? And how long have people been saying, hey, that's not cool. But the company's like, no, we're we're going green, though. We've made this donation to this place. And it's like, no, but we just want human rights. Do you think we could just work on that? I guess I'm a little late to the game there. I have not seen the latest on the Facebook issues. Yeah, well, it just came out. I would say look it up for all of the listeners, too, because I am not a mastermind on this. I just want to, like, say that first. But there was a whistleblower that came out talking about, you know, as they talk about how social media is bad for for us. But they talk about how Facebook, when it was given the opportunity to make these changes so that they're not posting this, like, divisive stuff or this angering things or these violent things that are out there. They, they had a way to solve that problem, but they chose not to because the conversation went back to, but if you're not angry, then you're not going to spend as much time on Facebook interacting with the people who you're angry with or who you disagree with. So if we keep putting in this inflammatory 
uh, like images or videos or things in your feed, then you'll stay engaged and you'll stay online. But then it goes back to this conversation about like, what's engagement? A Facebook fight is not engagement. It's not like helping said anything. Yep. No, it's just like two people's aunts fighting online. (laughs) No, and I I hate those those kinds of fights, arguments, conversations, whatever. I I stray away from those because I don't really think anything's to be gained. Good. I always tell people, my sister, my sister specifically, but I'm like, I don't think anyone ever like changed somebody's mind for the better over Facebook. I don't think there was ever a Facebook conversation that ended with a, you know, I never thought of it that way. I'm going to change, change some things about my life. Hey, but maybe I'm wrong. This is another opportunity to send in a uh, send me an email. Comment. Yeah. <laughs> Let me know. <laughs> Share a personal story of when your opinion, your life outlook has been changed by another social media user. Please email those to kikid at mirrorstage.org. <laughs> okay, I'm finally going to get the email that I've been waiting for, but they're all going to be hate. <laughs> a lot of trolls out there. Watch out. <laughs> oh, Lord. <sighs> okay. Well, I think our, our call to action is pretty laid out for us. Yep. So (laughs) I think Anna Maria made it very clear where people can go to make a difference. I'll let you take the first one. Yep. So washmasks.org is what a lot of our episode today was talking about. And you should go on there and check out their latest campaigns. They are always accepting masks and other donations. Another cool thing that they have on there too is a a template for masks. So if you're like, I don't know how to make a mask, they have a template on there for you as well. The website is both in English and in Spanish, and they're currently holding their school supplies and new book drive with the goal of providing school supplies and a thousand new books for the children of farm workers in the lower Yakima Valley. Um, So yeah, they're still seeking donations, especially bilingual books. And you can check out their book wish list via a website called Bookshop, as well as purchase school and art supplies via their wash masks target registry. And I will put all of that information in the show notes. So you could just click on it and it will send you directly to both of those wish lists. And I see we have another one on here. Nuestra Casa assists individuals by providing services to address issues in the immigrant communities in the lower Yakima Valley. This is something that, again, Anne Maria has that hat. She's part of this community she's working with. They offer courses, workshops on financial literacy, leadership, justice, Spanish literacy, and health literacy. But adult English classes and citizenship classes are their core programs. They also promote civic engagement by immigrants through a variety of special programs. There is a bilingual production of proof that they recorded, put online. I think there's also like closed caption. It is all to fundraise for this organization. But by the time this episode airs, it will have just ended. But that being said, you could still go donate some money or time. Gotcha. Thank you for clarifying that. It's October and I guess I've got kind of like a a token call to action, but it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So I just wanted to remind everyone to stay on top of your health and have a screening done. And if getting a screening done is not 
quite feasible for you for whatever reason, the National Breast Cancer Foundation offers free mammograms and diagnostic services to women in need. Washington's own Fred Hutchison Cancer Research Center is one of those partners. So you can schedule an appointment with them if you are in need of something and you can't get it through your own BCP or your health insurance doesn't cover it, or if you don't have insurance, I'm one of those people. So, you know, do what you need to, to stay on top of your health and stay happy. Yeah. And as always, all of those links will be in our show notes so that you'll be able to check them all out. Very cool. Well, I'm just going to plug the gala one more time. Don't forget to get your tickets for our 20th anniversary virtual gala. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We've got some fun activities lined up. I hope to see you there November 20th, Saturday, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Get your best duds on and turn on your ring light if you have one. And we'll see you there. Yeah, and you get to see the great bingo card that Hazel created. I'm ready. Yep, I'm playing bingo. I'm in it to win it. <laughs> I, oh, okay. You're going to win. You're going to play and win. That's not fair. You're going to, you're helping me create it. <laughs> oh, I guess that's true. Never mind. <laughs> well, I guess with that, we will, we will, I was going to say, we'll see you in November. And I was like, we won't. You all will hear us in November. But maybe see if you go to the gala. Yeah. See us. We'll see you at the gala. Otherwise, third Monday of next month next episode of the Mirror Stage podcast will be dropping contents to be determined so just stay tuned folks um I also want to say have a happy Halloween oh right this is our <laughs> Halloween episode too exactly Ooh, that'll be our sign off If you like what you've heard and would like to support this podcast or other Mirror Stage programming, you can donate at our website, mirrorstage.org, or text Play It Smart to 206-888-6477. We would like to acknowledge that we are on the traditional land of the first people of Seattle, the Duwamish and Coast Salish people, past and present, and honor with gratitude the land itself and the Duwamish and Coast Salish tribes. This program is supported in part by a grant from the Washington State Arts Commission and the National Endowment of the Arts. Mm-hmm.